It's showtime. Don't say it, please. Don't say it. No, I have to say it, Mitch. Showtime. Showtime. It's showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Show, and uh, times have changed, so I am now recording this from my bedroom, no longer from the uh, pristine conditions of the uh, recording studio at work. So a uh, little bit of a different sound quality. Hope that's okay with you guys. Of course, we are all dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Hard to ignore that. Especially hard to ignore, I guess, if you're a movie fan like we are. Because of, uh, well, we can't go to the movies. No more movie theater trips. Uh, It's kind of weird, especially now that we're uh, getting towards May. And uh, that would usually bring with it some, you know, theatrical releases in the summer blockbuster season, as I like to say. So it is kind of strange to be experiencing movies in this new way, I would say. And I think for you guys as well, it's uh, always kind of weird. Uh, I know it's been a little while since my last episode, and that's probably because I've been trying to decide what I want to do when it comes to this podcast. Because, of course, this is first and foremost, I guess I would say, a movie review podcast, right? Like We talk about movies, we talk about the Oscars, we talk about news in Hollywood for sure, but we first and foremost talk about movies and the movie-going experience. And when there are no movies, it's hard to review them. Uh, We did a couple of movies, I think, on the last episode that we hadn't gotten to over the course of the last couple of months. But now that we're actually into the part of 2020 that where no new movies are actually being released. It is a little difficult. I have seen Onward. I have seen Trolls World Tour. So I was going to make this an animation episode, but I figured instead we do something a little different here on the podcast. If you follow us on Twitter, at Showtime Movies, and of course show is S-H-O, Time Movies. Uh, Again, on Twitter, you'd see that we started a new contest. We started a... uh, bracket, I guess, in, a, in the style of March Madness. If any of you watch the NCAA's tournaments, uh, a lot of fun, even for people who are not super into college basketball like me, right? I personally just like to do, you know, a bracket every year, and you pick some winners, and it's kind of fun. So in the same spirit, I guess, even though it's uh, not March anymore, but still, uh, I decided to start the quote-unquote best drama ever bracket, and uh, hashtag best drama ever. You can find all of our stuff on Twitter. And uh, so I've kind of have decided to make that the focus of the podcast, at least for the next little while. We're still going to review movies, we'll still talk about news, uh, but I thought it was a kind of fun way to enjoy a little bit of a look back. So we'll talk about the uh, best drama ever bracket. Uh, I also wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about Trolls World Tour and how the success of that movie probably means some different things when it comes to the, uh, let's say, movie business, the way movies are viewed and consumed by us, the consumers, right? I want to talk a little bit about that uh, in the wake of Trolls World Tour, uh, unprecedented success when it comes to the video on demand market. And of course, I mentioned the Oscars earlier. We love doing the Oscars. You guys know I love the Oscars. So there have been some changes to the 93rd Academy Awards. So we will get into all of that on the podcast today. So why don't we kick things off? and get to one of my favorite things I've done so far in the podcast, the 64-seed four-conference best drama ever bracket. Your attention, please. Um, An episode... Hey, your attention, please. So, yes, the best drama ever bracket. I kind of thought of it kind of on a whim. 
Uh, I think uh, at my workplace, we do a lot of brackets. I mentioned before, obviously, I work at a radio station, a sports talk radio station. And as you might imagine, in, the, in a world without sports, it's kind of hard to create content. So we've done a lot of brackets. One of my coworkers, they did a best action movie star ever. Uh, and uh, Bruce Willis, I believe, defeated Harrison Ford, which is an absolute travesty. I mean, God love Bruce Willis, but he's no Harrison Ford. I mean, like, what are the action movies Bruce Willis is in, apart from Die Hard, that are like really good? There aren't any. So people basically voted for Die Hard over every Harrison Ford action movie. And anyways, I don't want I don't want to get too much into it, but uh, that's where the idea kind of started to percolate. And then actually myself and another coworker, Josh Goldberg, who has actually been on this podcast before, talk about the Avengers and Marvel movies. Uh, Josh and I have decided to do a uh, the 2020 Snack Invitational, or the Snack It in the bracket uh, vernacular, let's say. And uh, yeah, we decided to do uh, snacks, as you might imagine. We didn't do a full 64 seed, and neither was the Action uh, action Star Tournament. Both of those, I, I believe, were 16, 16 teams. So I thought, why not expand that into a full 64 March Madness-style tournament? And uh, so far, I think results have been great. Results have been really positive. Uh, the bracket itself is pretty robust. So we got four conferences, as I mentioned before, 64 seeds, which means 16 seeds in each bracket, and uh, or each conference, pardon me. And each conference kind of breaks down like this. We have the pre-1969 bracket. We have the 1970 to 1989 bracket. We have 1990 to 2009. And then we have 2010 to present. So those are our four conferences, 16 seeds in each conference. And one of the things I did, which I really enjoyed uh, when it comes to the bracket, is that because we got we, we took a little bit of a bath, let's say. The seeding committee took a little bit of a bath for the Snacket uh, before, and uh, people kind of questioned how we seeded things and why. So what I did is I came up with a list of 16 movies, okay? And uh, I submitted that list to some of my friends, my coworkers, some of my family members, and... Not everyone, but I would say most of them got back to me and gave me some feedback about how high certain movies were ranked, how low certain movies were ranked. There were some movies that weren't on this list at all, and I'm glad I sent the list out to my coworkers and friends and family because they definitely helped me out with uh, movies that should have been on this list. Like I'll, I will freely admit, I did not have uh, There Will Be Blood. In the 1990 to 2009 bracket, I absolutely did not. That's 100% on me because I, frankly, just completely forgot about it. Uh, I had Titanic ranked in that same conference. Uh, pretty, not highly, but it wasn't the bottom seed and it ended up being the number 16 seed after I consulted with some of these guys. Um, on the other side of the bracket, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I felt like it should be in there as a part of the 2010 to present. Like, and then I questioned, is, is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood really one of the 16 best movies of the past decade? I'm not 100% sure that it is personally, but a lot of people felt pretty strongly about it, so I included it. Uh, similarly, look at some of the other movies. Like, I went with the number one seed for the 1970-1989 uh, conference. I keep calling them brackets. They're conferences. The whole thing is the bracket. But uh, the 1970 to 1989 conference, I went with Godfather 2 as the number one seed over uh, Godfather 1, which ended up being the second seed. That generated a minor bit of controversy because some people feel the first one is better. I personally lean second because of the time, uh, the time jumping and whatnot. But I mean, hey, like I think the, the margin, I think everyone agreed, was pretty slim. And I figured, you know what? I'm the arbitrator of this in the end, so I'm going to go with my gut. And so I gave Godfather 2 
<laughs> the uh, number one seed. I'm looking forward to that, actually. And you know what? Since I actually broke down all of the, or at least one of the seedings, let's talk about the uh, movies in the various conferences. So we'll start with the pre-1969 uh, conference. And I freely admit, I think this is probably the conference that not a lot of people probably readily know about. So the uh, 16 movies are Citizen Kane from 1941, Casablanca from 1942, 12 Angry Men, 1957, Seven Samurai, 1954, and Lawrence of Arabia, 1962. So I, I stop at the fifth movie there because I think after number five, six All About Eve, I'm not sure, like even if those five, I think, which are some of the more famous movies probably ever, I do wonder how many people have seen any of these movies, much less some of the most famous ones like Casablanca or Seven Samurai or Lawrence of Arabia. Like I mentioned, All About Eve, uh, number six, Gone with the Wind, number seven, Sunset Boulevard, It's a Wonderful Life, On the Waterfront, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Bridge on the River Kwai, Once Upon a Time in the West, Dr. Strangelove, Planet of the Apes, which is a bit controversial, I guess, because part of the, I guess, the rules for the bracket was, you know, no genre movies, and I couldn't help myself. I put the Planet of the Apes movie in, and then rounding out the uh, top 16 is uh, with the final seed is the treasure of the Sierra Madre, 1948. So, I've only seen these movies once each. I never rewatched Citizen Kane. I never rewatched Casablanca. Uh, actually, I guess I've seen It's a Wonderful Life more than once, just because it's a Christmas movie. But other than that, yeah, I haven't seen more many of these movies more than once. So, it's just I, I feel like for many people, they might might not have might not have seen any of these movies. So that's kind of the struggle with the pre-1969 conference, but it's important, I think, to have these movies in the bracket. Otherwise, you know, I feel like you're kind of cheating when it comes to the best drama ever, because some of these are the best movies of all time. Like, I, I genuinely like Seven Samurai. I think it's better than some of the other movies on this list, right? So, anyways, I think that, that was important to be included. Uh, I'm not, I, I, To be clear, I'm not just paying it some token lip service, but at the same time, it just I think there's a, a level of acknowledgement that of the four categories, the four conferences, this is probably the one that people will interact with the least. And so far, it's reflected in the voting. Because, of course, we started the bracket on April 19th. It's April 29th. And uh, in the 10 days, we're doing two voting, uh, two votes a day. And uh, as a result, we're, we're moving along uh, pretty steadily, which is pretty good. So in the 1970 to 1989 bracket, the number one seed, as I mentioned already, The Godfather Part 2. Number two, The Godfather, I guess The Godfather 1, even though the movie is called The Godfather. Uh, Rocky at the three spot. Taxi Driver, number four. Amadeus, number five. Admittedly, one I did not initially have in this list. And uh, my good friend, Quentin Amundsen, who has been on this podcast many times, reminded me. Thank you very much, Quentin. I, I uh I appreciate it. That one's on you. <laughs> um, Apocalypse Now at number six. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, number seven. Great movie. Do the Right Thing and Dog Day Afternoon at eight, nine. So that's a first round matchup, of course. Uh, Network at number 10. Clockwork Orange at 11. Chinatown at 12. All the President's Men at 13. Platoon at 14. A Christmas Story at 15. And Rain Man at 16. So I guess I should stop here and remind you if you are not a March Madness fan, and you're not sure how the, the the tournament works. Every matchup is dictated by its seeding, which is why seeding is so important. The number one seed gets to play the 16 seed. Two plays 15. Three plays 14. Four plays 13. And you kind of go down the list. When, and why I mentioned do the right thing and dog day afternoon are going to face each other is because the eight, nine seeds play each other. Seven, ten. Can, you know what I mean? Like it goes top plays the bottom. The second, second top plays the second from the bottom and so on, right? 
So obviously the two in the middle are are supposedly, at least in March Madness, supposed to be the two most evenly matched teams. And so there you have a pretty fierce matchup, do the right thing, dog day afternoon. And I will say, I haven't told you guys the results of the other matchups yet, but so far there's been a relatively decisive winner, I would say. And we actually did the 8-9 matchup in that conference, uh, I guess, yesterday. And uh, that was the first vote. We got eight votes. I know, not a lot, but hey, we're working it with, with it here, right? Still the early goings. Um, but uh, Do the Right Thing and Dog Day Afternoon both got four votes each, which means that for the first time we had a tie. So I, di- I didn't actually think of this when I was uh, doing the initial, uh, the initial, let's say, uh, rules when it comes to it. But uh, I guess since I'm the arbitrator, as I mentioned, I will be... Uh, deciding who wins and i'll tell you guys right now i haven't made the tweet yet but uh the movie that wins is going to be do the right thing because i love spike lee so there you go uh 1990 2009 conference the one seed i almost felt like it had to be saving private ryan uh which came, well, first came out in 1998 but i think you could have gone with any of the next couple of movies right I mean, schindler's list number two goodfellas number three a lot of my friends actually had that ranked as number three i think or number one i mean i had it ranked as number uh, at number four, I think. So because a lot of those guys had it ranked as number one, I moved up a spot. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, number f- uh, number four. No Country for Old Men, number five. Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, There Will Be Blood, The Departed, Goodwill Hunting, Fight Club, Boogie Nights. Great movie. Underrated, I think. Not a lot of people talk about it these days as much as the other ones I've mentioned, but still pretty good. Gladiator, LA Confidential, Million Dollar Baby, which... You know, I've gone back and forth as to whether or not I want to include it in this list, but ultimately, there you go. And Titanic, which I feel like, you know, if you have one of the highest grossing movies of all time, probably deserves a spot on your list, right? So there it is. Uh, and I'm just looking at that list. I think The Departed and There Will Be Blood. Well, initially, I think, I actually think both of them, neither of them, I should say, were on the list initially. And uh, to my great shame, I admit, but there they are. And they were the 8-9 seed. That was a pretty uh, pretty fun matchup as well, which we already got to. I'll get that in a minute. And then uh, the 2010 to present, I kind of just went with a lot of Oscar winners here just because it's more common. And I think a lot of people will, will have had heard of those movies, if that makes sense. So number one, Parasite, obviously. I feel like just because of circumstances in the world with no movies, you kind of have to go with the reigning champion as number one. Plus, it was really good. So didn't feel like it was just too much of a stretch to go with Parasite. So there you go, Parasite number one. The Social Network number two. At the kind of other end of the decade, of course, strangely enough. Uh, Moonlight, number three. Boyhood, number four. Roma, Spotlight, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Whiplash. A Separation, which is vastly underrated. Shockingly underrated. Uh, Hell or High Water, which I really liked. Inside Lewin Davis, which was that Oscar Isaac kind of vehicle that launched him to stardom. I think criminally underrated movie, right? I mean, I'm shocked at how underrated that movie is. I don't think a lot of people got to see it, unfortunately, but... Whew, I just I love that movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, Moneyball, which is another inclusion I didn't have initially. Moneyball, and I think you know what, uh, Sports Angle, might as well put it in there, right? Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You guys heard my uh, little story on that. Twelve Years a Slave, and then we rounded out the list with another Best Picture winner, Birdman. So, no, I did not. I did not write the whole name of Birdman, which, to be honest, I'm not sure what it is, but we'll go with Birdman uh, uh, for the official listing, and that kind of rounds out our 64 seats, and. Again, like we've run, we've done some of these votes already, so I'll I'll, I'll kind of get you guys up to date on what we've done already. Uh, we started with, and again, I wanted to get all the one seed matchups out of the way because usually the one seed absolutely crushes 
the 16 seed, and uh, to no one's surprise, all of the one seeds moved on. So Citizen Kane defeated Sierra Madre 100% to one. Literally everyone who voted voted for Citizen Kane, which is pretty funny. Uh, Godfather Part 2 defeated Rain Man, 76.2% of the vote. Uh, Private, Saving Private Ryan defeated Titanic with 70% of the vote. Parasite defeated Birdman with 80% of the vote. And that kind of got all of the one seeds into the next round. Uh, Apocalypse Now took out A Clockwork Orange with 80% of the vote, so a lot of uh, war fans out there. Schindler's List defeated Million Dollar Baby pretty handily, 84.6% of the vote. Spotlight defeated Lewin Davis in, in what was a close upset, even though Spotlight won with 56.3% of the vote. Uh, there was a point in the voting where Inside Lewin Davis had, I think, like a 51 to 49% lead, then Spotlight, you know, quote-unquote, came back. Uh, let's see, we got uh, our first, I guess, I hesitate to call upsets from close matchups, like an 8 versus 9 seed. Is there truly an upset if the 9 seed wins? Personally, I don't necessarily think so, even though literally there is. But anyways, I guess the decisive nature of this proves the proves it right, because uh, it was Sunset Boulevard versus It's a Wonderful Life. And, I mean, un- not very shockingly, It's a Wonderful Life beat Sunset Boulevard with 85.7% of the vote. Uh, Rocky, number 3, defeated the 14-seeded Platoon. 63.6% of the vote. Rocky, pretty great movie, obviously. Uh, let's see. Then the last couple of matchups here, uh, four more to go. Uh, I mentioned There Will Be Blood and There Departed. Uh, the Departed completely just dummied There Will Be Blood with 83.3% of the vote. That's also our most, let's put it this way, our most highly attended matchup with 24 votes. Uh, Moonlight defeated Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as it should, frankly, uh, with 56.3% of the vote. In our last two matchups, Gone with the Wind moved on over on with the water on the waterfront, uh, 63.6% of the vote. And again, do the right thing in Dog Day Afternoon. I'm just going to decide that do the right thing is moving on because I like it better. But I mean, Dog Day Afternoon is also like a fantastic movie. It's just I, I just really like do the right thing. And I'm, you know, kind of what I say goes, right? So there you go. Uh, so that's kind of our plan for uh, for the uh, the matchup. And I think I wanted us to get those matchups, those, I guess, uh, already already happened matchups out of the way just so you guys get a sense of how it works and i think we'll do the pod a little more regularly we'll just it'll be a little more shorter episodes and we'll talk a little bit more about each movie and about each matchup going forward uh so there you go maybe i'll maybe i'll go a little longer on some of the older movies as opposed to you know the 2010 to present movie because you guys have seen those already so since we'll do it every week or every week and a half or so we'll uh we'll we'll be able to have that discussion about movies since uh, there's not a lot else going on right now so don't forget to, of course, uh, you can find the actual bracket on at Showtime Movies on Twitter. You can find my personal Twitter account, which is at SNS Alley with two L's. And uh, I will be retweeting those polls as well, just to get some more amplification out of the account. And uh, yeah, if you're, if you're a listener and you like the podcast, please go vote. I think you'd enjoy it. Interact with it a little bit. And uh, we can have uh, some movie discussions in a time of no movies. You know, it's also very rare for us to actually have industry news to talk about. I feel like I feel like when we talk about the quote-unquote movie news on the podcast, which we've done less and less recently, I, I know, but even still, when we used to do it, right, it would be about this actor attached to this project, or this director attached to this project, or this director is no longer attached to this project, or this is a new property that's being revived or created or what have you. It's always about the actors and directors and the actual movies themselves. But very rarely, I feel like, do we talk about the industry. 
whether it's strikes or stuff like that. I mean, not a lot has happened in uh, in the last several years. I know a couple of minor things here and there, but nothing that's really had any long-term lasting consequences. Uh, but when I say industry, I also mean the actual of putting of butts in the seats, okay? Actually going to a physical movie theater to see a movie. We talk about sometimes the movie-going experience, but not actually about the distribution model that exists between, let's see, studio and exhibitor, right? And so, uh, enter Trolls World Tour. So, in the new world we live in, I guess it's important to uh, lend some context to this. As I mentioned off the top, no new movies are coming out. Now, obviously, tons of movies that were scheduled to come out between, I guess, mid-March, when all this stuff started to happen, and just just time going forward, right? Like the rest of the summer, obviously, April and May and so on. Uh, all of those movies had to be rescheduled. For example, uh, I believe Black Widow has been rescheduled to, I want to say, November uh, Mulan has been rescheduled to July, which still seems optimistic for me. Uh, funnily enough, it was rescheduled to the uh, former date of the Tokyo Summer Olympics, so that's not happening anymore, right, when it comes to the Olympics. So it's weird that they basically changed the changed the date of a movie that was supposed to be out by now, and I would be talking about it on this podcast, uh, to the actual prior date of the Olympics, which themselves were cancelled. So, I don't know. It doesn't seem necessarily that Mulan will come out, but either way, the movie has been rescheduled, and lots of other movies are being rescheduled as well. Now, a lot of people are wondering, with the advent of video on demand and the, the rise of streaming services like Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu in the States and Disney Plus and so on, would studios perhaps bite the bullet on some of their on some of their projects, take the bath on uh, money-wise, and just get it out to consumer eyeballs who are stuck at home with nothing to do because we're all quarantined, right? As I mentioned, I'm doing this podcast uh, from my bedroom wearing a gaming headset. So there you go, right? (laughs) Uh, Who would have thought? But when it comes to Trolls World Tour, as I mentioned, Trolls World Tour was, I would say, the first major theatrical release to be pushed to video on demand. Uh, I guess personal video on demand is as it's now being called PVOD, right? And uh, I know Onward existed as well, but Onward was in that weird in-between space where it actually did go to theaters, and then it had its run cut short by the coronavirus. So it had like three weeks or two weeks in theaters before all this actually happened. Whereas Trolls World Tour, I think, was the first large release when it comes to animated movies, of course. But then again, of course, that's what those are the kinds of movies you get in late March, early April before you get to blockbuster season. And many people wondered, would, and I mentioned Mulan and Black Widow, would those follow suit? Disney, of course, as I mentioned, has rescheduled them. Uh, but still, Disney had Artemis Fowl planned to coming out, and now Artemis Fowl is being pushed to Disney Plus on an unspecified date, but it's coming to Disney Plus now. Uh, Scoob, which was that other kind of Scooby-Doo prequel, another animated movie, uh, is also going to come out on a video on demand, so we'll see how that does in a couple of weeks when it does come out, but Trolls World Tour, I think think also, not only was it pushed to video on demand, but I think a lot of people were wondering how it would do, because I think a lot of people were also wondering, would this signal a shift in how people consumed movies? Would it damage, as we kind of mentioned off the top of the segment, would it manage or damage the way people go and interact with movies uh, in the movie theater and then, you know, actually putting your butt in the seat, like I mentioned. So 
Trolls World Tour has come and gone now. I mean, it's still there. You can still get it, obviously. But the uh, we're now seeing the kind of uh, revenue reports, and the Wall Street Journal had this report earlier today. So based on a roughly 80% split from digital rental or purchase fees, you've seen Trolls World Tour bring in $77 million, which means sales have reached approximately between 95 and $100 million. Uh, the Wall Street Journal report also said that uh, this return to the studio is more than what Universal saw from the entire North American theatrical run of the original 2016 uh, release of Trolls, which grossed about 150, 155 million. I think the closer, I think the number was closer to 153 million. Uh, that's just in North America, so U.S. and Canada. So that was from the time it came out on November 2016 to late March 2017 when it left theaters. Okay, so I think a lot of people were very pleased with this, and uh, NBC Universal, the company that of course made Trolls 2, uh, Jeff Shell, he said. The results for Trolls World Tour have exceeded our expectation and demonstrated the viability of PVOD, as I mentioned. As soon as theaters reopen, we expect to release movies on both formats. So they're still going to release movies on PVOD and in the theater. And, uh, and we're not sure how the 1999 uh, rental strategy on Trolls 2 will really affect, let's say, future sales of the of the movie when it comes to DVD or digital downloads or Blu-rays or whatever. But at the, at the same time, uh, I mean, maybe that doesn't matter anymore for some people. I mean, it does for me and for collectors of things like that. But hey, that's like a problem for another day when it comes to NBC Universal, right? There, I'm sure, is uh, pleased as punch when it comes to this number. And uh, there were some more reports on uh, researchers at the studio spoke to people who rented it. And uh, 51% of the people who rented the sequel said they would have definitely watched it in theaters and one-fifth of those people said they rarely or never rent films from digital services so that's kind of where things stood uh, earlier and i believe after the comments from uh, shell the as i mentioned ceo of nbc universal the national association of theater owners crazily enough which is n-a-t-o meaning the acronym is nato they, you think they could have just made, you know, rearranged those letters in some way, since I'm sure when people think of NATO, they don't think of theater owners. They think of, you know, the, the North American Treaty. Anyways, I'll get, get away from the politics, but it's just funny that that's what the acronym is. Anyways, NATO actually responded to the Wall Street Journal report, saying in a press release that the performance was, and I quote here, okay, indicated indicative of hundreds of millions of people isolated in their homes seeking entertainment not a shift in consumer movie viewing preferences it is not surprising that people under shelter in home ordinances for weeks on end with increasingly limited entertainment options would take advantage of the movie's direct vod move to keep children entertained even at a premium price further universal heavily marketed the title as a theatrical release in theaters and elsewhere for weeks on end that is likely to recur those costs haven't been disclosed universal may be pleased with the pvod results of trolls 2 this outcome should not be interpreted as a sign of quote-unquote new normal for hollywood and then the president of nato I still can't believe that's uh, that's what they're calling it. But anyways, the president of NATO and also the CEO, John Fithian, uh, went on to say, and I'm not going to read his whole statement because it's pretty long, but he basically says Universal does not have reason to use unusual circumstances in an unprecedented environment to, as a springboard to bypass true theatrical releases, end quote. So I, I kind of agree with him. I agree with him because I like going to theaters. I think there is something to be said for experiencing a movie and having that movie magic uh, with other people. Look, I'll never forget when I saw Inception for the first time, or Get Out for the first time, or even any of the new Star Wars movies. Even though I didn't really care for The Rise of Skywalker, it was still fun to see in a crowd 
and like when when Snoke dies in the Last Jedi, and that whole audience gasps, like nothing can beat that. Nothing can beat that. So I totally understand them. At the same time, it seems to me that Universal can do whatever the f they want, right? Like that's what that's what it seems to me. And however, uh, it would seem that. Uh, AMC, of course, who are the uh, world's largest cinema chain. And of course, I mean, we live in Canada. You're you're hearing a person from Canada talk about this issue. So AMC doing this, it is definitely meaningful. But I mean, there are not very many AMC cinemas here in Toronto, for example. And in fact, the uh, only two that I can think of, there was one near my my parents' house in Scarborough. There was one in the middle of the downtown core at Young and Dundas Square. And both of those, first of all, the one in Scarborough doesn't exist anymore. It's now in LA Fitness, funnily enough. And the one downtown was bought by Cineplex. It's one of the larger Cineplex cinemas, and I still go there all the time, but it's not an AMC theater, right? So anyways, AMC doesn't really have a huge Canadian presence, but obviously still uh, is the world's largest cinema chain. And uh, they said, they replied to Jeff Shell's comment, and they said uh, they will no longer play any of Universal's films in the wake of comments made by Shell. They basically said, uh, it is disappointing to us, but Jeff's comment to Universal's uh, unilateral actions and intentions have left us with no choice, therefore effective immediately. AMC will no longer play Universal's movies in any of our theaters in the United States, Europe, or the Middle East. This policy affects any and all Universal movies per se, goes into effect today, and as our theaters reopen, it is not some hollow or ill-considered threat. This policy is not aimed solely at Universal out of peak or to be punitive in any way. It also extends to any movie maker who unilaterally abandons current windowing practices absent good faith negotiations between us so that they as distributor and we as executive, pardon me, as exhibitor, both benefit, neither are hurt from such changes. Currently, with the press comment today, Universal is the only studio contemplating a wholesale change to the status quo, hence this immediate communication in response. And then I think Universal had a response basically saying, uh, basically uh, taking a dig at AMC and, and NATO, ugh, NATO, for trying to quote-unquote confuse matters. Uh, they said something like, that we believe in the theatrical experience, we have made no statement to the contrary. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just really interesting because this is something that people wondered about for a long time in this new coronavirus situation, people really wondered if this was going to be what happens. And uh, it turns out, theater owners are not going to take this lying down. So I'm interested to see what happens next. Uh, I'd be interested to see what happens if another major studio, another major distributor follows suit as Universal. And I think a lot of people probably in that industry probably breathe the sigh of relief when Disney, for example, I mentioned moving Black Widow and Mulan, uh, they decided to not release like one of those two movies on Disney Plus, let's say, and charge you an extra fee on top of your monthly fee for renting it or watching it, you know, purchasing it outright or what have you, right? So very interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what will happen as this continues. A lot of states in the United States are considering reopening businesses. Uh, here in Toronto, for example, the Premier of Ontario uh, said that They'll begin a three-step plan at reopening things for the summer uh, as to help the stimulate and jumpstart the economy. All those things make sense. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I truly do believe that there's no real way to keep everything closed indefinitely, even though I believe everything should remain closed indefinitely. You have to stay home. You have to social distance. You have to quarantine because that will reduce the transmission spread of this virus. And I don't want to get the virus. You don't want to get the virus. And that's the kind of bottom line, right? We don't want people getting the virus. But uh, I find it interesting that 
even so, with all of that, people are discussing reopening things. And uh, I mean, we heard the the governor of California say movie theaters could take months, not weeks, to reopen. And I'm sure similar discussions are going on here in Canada. But that's really fascinating to watch and to and to take in. And uh, you know what? I said I wasn't going to review Trolls World Tour, but I'll say this: it was pretty good, shockingly good for a children's movie. One of those movies, kind of like one of those popcorn movies, as you've heard me say so many different times. Like he, it's essentially a movie that you watch, you laugh, you have fun, and then you kind of just move on, right? You move on, much like the original Trolls. I don't think there's any earworm of a song from Justin Timberlake this time, like there was before, like, I got that feeling inside my bones. Remember that song? That was the <laughs> that was the, uh, the big single he sang at the Oscars, actually, in 2016. But either way, or I guess in, I guess in 2017 he sang it because the movie was came out in November 2016. He sang it in February or March of 2017. But I, either way... Uh, this battle between AMC and Universal, I'm sure, will stretch out. And uh, if any other distributors uh, jump in the fray, then I wonder if AMC can really afford to not show Universal movies and Paramount movies or Disney movies or any other thing, right? I'm sure some of the smaller distributors like A24, I know I'm listing a popular one, they've gotten a lot bigger as of late, but what if they decide to do it, right? I mean, The Green Knight, that uh, Death Tell movie was supposed to come out later this year, and uh, will it now? I'm not sure, right? Anyway, so uh, we'll, we'll definitely cover this, I think, almost on every single episode because this is something that could change the way we all interact with and consume movies and uh, as the summer goes on, it'll be interesting to see what states reopen so we can see if we do eventually get to, let's say, the July 24th date of Mulan, right? So this will be something to keep our eyes on. The last thing I wanted to get to on this episode was, of course, the Oscars. You guys know how much I love the Oscars. And uh, with all this stuff about our movies coming out this year, when will they come out? Will we even see another movie again? What is a movie, right? I just, I wonder, I, I have wondered a lot about what the 93rd Oscars would look like if they would even take place. I mean, I know they don't happen for essentially just slightly under a year from now, but at the same time, I guess, I guess like, let's say uh, 10 months instead of a year, right? But at the same time, a long time from now, who knows what happens in 10 to 11 months. But still, uh, because movie theaters have been closed for so long, because uh, releases have been pushed and canceled and moved to next year and blah, 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 because of all of this, we're left wondering what will happen with the biggest award show for movies, because how can you really judge movies if you haven't seen them, uh, especially if the, the, the largest populace hasn't seen them? Now, because of this, the Academy knows that I guess they kind of have to change, so they released a number of changes. The Board of Governors released a number of changes earlier, and I wanted to go over some of them with you guys. So, kind of, I guess, a couple of major ones. I would say maybe four kind of major ones. So we'll go over them here. Uh, first of all, uh, for this year only, okay, just for the 93rd Academy Awards in 2021, like early 2021, uh, streamed films will be eligible for Oscars, okay? So the provisions are, one, the film must be made available on the secure Academy Screening Room member-only streaming site within 60 days of the film streaming or VOD release, and then two, it must meet all other eligibility requirements, so all the regular requirements. So it's really just adding that, you know, number one proviso, let's see. It's really just, I think, allowing for people to not go to the movie theaters and being able to see it online uh, means that it could still be eligible, which I think is a good move. I think it's the right move. I think uh, I think we'll probably see this. I, I, I truly wonder, considering how much the Academy seems to quote-unquote dislike streaming services, uh, I, I truly wonder how much 
that will stick around for next year, right? Like, it's possible they just get rid of it and like, all right, back to theaters, here we go, here we go again, and that would be completely fine with me. But at the same time, uh, maybe maybe hate streaming services is a, is a strong word, but at the same time, you know, we know they there's a bit of contention there. For the same reason AMC and Universal are contention with one another, people, people believe very strongly, and they feel very strongly about going to movie theaters, and I'm on their side, but at the same time, it's 2020. It's going to be 2021 soon. Like, this is the future. we got to embrace new technology, right? Anyways, I, I feel like that could be something that sticks around. The Board of Governors also announced rule changes in some of the other categories, specifically sound, music, and international feature film. Uh, Firstly, this is one we've been talking about for a while, and I think we talked about this very briefly uh, last year, or on the last Oscar one, I should say, not last year, because that was earlier earlier this year. Isn't that crazy? That was early. The Oscars were in 2020. Doesn't it feel like that was like 85 years ago? Like, good lord. Anyways, <laughs> the two sound categories, sound mixing and sound editing, have been combined into one award for best achievement in sound. So best sound will be the new Oscar, and it emphasizes this, uh, the team effort. The number of actual statues remains the same. Up to six can be given out. Now, eligible recipients can be one production sound mixer, two supervising sound editors, and three recording mixers, or re-recording mixers. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with this one, just because it seems to give uh, you know, a, a bit of the short end of the stick to essentially both categories. I know the number of statues remains the same, but it just is unfortunate that they're being treated as the same, even though they're not the same. Right, like actually creating the sounds and finding the sounds versus recording them, and I'm not saying one is more important than the other. They're both exceptionally important, which is why they both should be their own categories. And I think this is something the Academy has wanted to do for a while, and now they're kind of now that they're making some other changes, they figured might as well lump it in. But I still think it's a bit of a shame. It still seems it just seems like your work is being overlooked a little more if you're a sound person now, even though you could still get the same kind of the same kind of statues, for example, as I mentioned, it just, yeah, I don't know, it rubs me the wrong way, and it seems like we shouldn't be taking steps to reduce Oscars. Maybe they feel like it's the it's the length of the, the, the ceremony that they need to mix up a little bit, but if that's the case, there are other things they can cut instead of actual awards, and more importantly, sound awards. Like, I mean, they can, I don't know, I don't want to go into, I don't want to say, like, they could cut another Oscar instead, because they frankly shouldn't be. They should just cut, like, the boring filler in between, if that's what they're so concerned about. But at the same time, that's done now, so uh, best sound will be a new category at the Oscars next year. Uh, in the music original score specifically category, right? For a score to be eligible now, it must comprise a minimum of 60% of original music. And for, I actually like this next little bit, for sequels and franchise films, a score must have a minimum of 80% of new music. And that was interesting to me because I, I really do wonder how much, well, like when you really get down to listening, the entire score, I wonder how much of it gets reused in sequels and stuff, right? I mean, there's obviously motifs and, and whatnot, and those are important, and they, and they tell the character story just as much as dialogue does, and that's why I love music, the, the score stuff, because you listen to it, and it's absolutely beautiful. But I, I do wonder, I, I'm curious to see how this will affect movies going forward. And uh, in a procedural change for the international feature film category, all eligible Academy members will now be invited to participate in the prelim round of voting. Okay, so I guess that's just to say that those people couldn't do it in the prelim. Everyone could do it once they actually got to the, I guess, quote-unquote, final or real round of voting after the prelim round. But now everyone is welcome to the prelim round, which is good. I guess can't hurt to get more eyeballs on uh, feature films, international feature films, I should say. And uh, a couple other like smaller campaign regulations were announced. I won't go over all of them because some of them are kind of... They're kind of... Uh, 
nitpicky, let's say. And I mean, you guys know I love to nitpick, but uh, not enough time in the world for that, for uh, like random Oscar campaign stuff. But the most interesting one was simply, as part of the Academy's sustainability effort, the 93rd award season will be the final year DVD screeners will be allowed to be distributed. These mailings will be conti- discontinued starting in 2021 for the 94th awards. Access to the Academy screening room will be continued to be made available for all eligible releases. And uh, yeah, I find that really interesting as well. Everything's going to be digital after this coming Oscars, which is, I think, is, I mean, for sustainability, that's great. But truly, they might as well just come out and say, hey, we're tired of these movies being pirated. Stop pirating stuff. Screw you guys. And uh, now they're going to be uh, online only. So I guess someone will have to hack the Academy Screening Room website. I'm not actually sure how it works. So obviously, I'm not a member of the Academy. Maybe they still get to download copies of the movie to their computer. Maybe it's all streaming. Again, not sure how it works. But ultimately, I think that's a good decision. Uh, it does make me wonder how people will watch pirated versions of these movies if you can't get a screener to burn, right? Because I'm sure that's what happens a lot of the time. Someone takes a screener, they copy it, it gets out into the world, and there you go, right? So I really do, I really do wonder what will happen with that. And uh, maybe that's just one effort in cracking down on people pirating movies and eventually moving on to actually going to see it in theater. It doesn't really affect me because I do go see these movies in theaters, but hey, I'm sure some people, maybe even some people listening to this podcast, don't worry, we'll call you out, but uh, I, like a lot of people, I think, realistically go see some of these smaller movies not in theaters because it's, it's harder to find. Like, I mean, I'm lucky that I live in Toronto and I get to go see a lot of these movies uh, in some of the local cinemas here because... It's like those are things that people here care about, and Toronto is, I think, in my opinion, a hub for film in North America. But that's not the case everywhere. So I, I wonder how what kind of impact this will have uh, when it comes uh, to uh, pirating Oscar releases. That's it for this episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast. I appreciate you listening this far, despite the fact that we didn't really talk about movies all that much. I mean, we talked about the industry, we talked about the Oscars, we talked about our best drama ever bracket, and I encourage you to go vote uh, on Twitter at Showtime Movies. But at the same time, you guys listen to this podcast for movie reviews, right? And uh, movie insight. And not a lot of that on this episode, but I appreciate it. I, I guess actually we did talk about Trolls World Tour, I suppose, now that I think about it. Uh, again, it was a good movie. You kind of forget it immediately after you watched it, but a fun time, fun kind of spoofs on some music, uh, fun uh, takes. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine and fun, right? It's kind of unremarkable. Perfect for kids. Perfect for watching it with your kids if you're if you're like a millennial parent or something like that. I think that's all, that's all you really hope for when it comes to these movies. And Onward, real quick on Onward, I saw that movie. I think you've probably decided by this point whether or not you're going to see Onward. Of course, you can watch it on Disney+. Plus. You can watch it video on demand. Maybe you saw it in theaters. Uh, I watched it personally when it came to Disney+. Plus, But either way, uh, yeah, fine movie. It's one of those things. Pixar movie is kind of unremarkable for a Pixar movie. Like, it's one of those movies that 80% of it, let's say, is fine, right? Tom Holland, of course, Spider-Man, you know him from. He's the voice of the one of the main characters, he's fine. Chris Pratt, even though he's basically playing Jack Black, you could have got Jack Black to be that character and you would have no difference, but either way, Chris Pratt, he's fine. It's just, the entire movie is okay. It's like decent, right? I don't know if it's great, but I will say the last like 30, 30, 35 minutes, let's say, is absolutely terrific. That is peak Pixar. And it kind of just really just turns it around on you as you may not expect and even me telling you this i don't think you'd be prepared for it but it's still really good with those last 35 minutes almost makes it whole worth it but i don't know you want the whole movie to be good not just the last 30 minutes but anyways that's my uh, short review of onward uh like i said kind of also kind of forgettable kind of like trolls world tour but at the same time you enjoy it while you watch it 
right? Anyway, so those are our, our two. If you if you really uh, if you're really starving for some movie reviews, that there are your movie reviews. I think we'll continue doing the best drama ever bracket going forward. Uh, we'll continue to update you on the AMC Universal situation, and uh, yeah, I hope you guys are doing well during the pandemic. I hope the COVID-19 virus has not gotten to you yet or anyone you care about. I hope you uh, hashtag stay home. I hope you stay safe. Thank you so much for listening to the Showtime Movie Podcast. As always, we'll be back next week. I promise we'll be back next week and not two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. And uh, until then, I hope you have a great and safe night.